0: Around Comics, Episode 8.
1: Thank you for listening to another episode of Around Comics, where every week we assemble a new panel to discuss topics in and around the world of comics. I'm your host, Christopher Niesman, and let me introduce you to this week's panel... As always, he is my partner in crime, and the producer of the show, he is Brian Salazar. Howdy, howdy. And next, he is the host of ComicsCast and the Comics Podcast Crossover. He is Bruce Rosenberger. Hello there. Hey, Bruce, welcome to the show. I was hoping that before we got into today's topic, that you could take a couple minutes and tell us about ComicsCast.
2: Well, ComicsCast basically is just a uh, myself talking, chatting up, and reviewing small press, independent, and mainstream comics, as well as comic strips and anything else on the peripheral that I feel like talking about.
1: We love the show. I will definitely encourage any of our listeners out there to check out ComicsCast. It is one of my favorites and a, uh, a top-of-the-stack podcast, so to speak. Thank you. let's, uh, Let's get into today's topic. This is the third week in a four week series that we are taking a look at the world of comics. Two weeks ago, we looked at the world of DC Comics. Last week, we moved over to the House of Ideas and talked about Marvel. Next week, we'll be talking about manga, and that leaves this week for the Everything Else pile. Uh, Most commonly referred to as indie, and that's what I want to talk about first. Is what is the definition of an indie comic? Um, Sal, I know you have some thoughts on this.
0: Well, you get a lot of opinions on what is indie, and and a lot of people, you know, it's anything is from not mainstream DC or Marvel Um, you know people consider image or Dark Horse or Vertigo indie but I think the hardest line definition of indie and and something that I kind of subscribe to is is independently published produced uh, comics where the creator is in control full control of it there's no editorial control from any outside source there's no one paying for it other than the creator. It's all them. To me, that's that's the true sort of essence of what an indie comic is. Everything else is either, you know, small press or alternative stuff because, you know, and it's not really content. I mean, sometimes it's, con- you know, content because, like, Image will put out books that are superhero books, but they're not Marvel or DC, and they don't get the, you know, pub that those two do, so people consider that, you know, indie where it's not necessarily indie, but it is maybe alternative or small press, in my opinion.
1: I agree. And uh um Bruce, I know that you're very passionate about alternative and indie books. How would you describe or characterize indie books?
2: Well I actually liked Brian's uh definition, but I, I think it's kinda a little bit subject subjective. Uh just for instance, for myself, I think mainstream, you know, the mainstream comics are, are the big titles, the ones that get distributed to newsstands as well as comic shops and, and bookstores. Uh, that being said, you know, independent, uh, I, I like, again, I like Brian's uh, definition. I think it's stuff that's published on a smaller scale, and it's getting difficult for me to actually put Image or Dark Horse into the independent uh categorization uh, but they don't get that mainstream uh, you know newsstand distribution and and that's I think a lot of their sales on the mainstream books is you know to newsstands and the spinner racks in the 711 or wherever
0: well it's absolutely I mean you know that's sort of the where some of the confusion or some of the the like I said subjection of it is because whether it's you know is it a Content or genre, or is it business model? You know, I mean that's sort of where it's up in the air. Is, is it's easy
1: know. to look at and say? I, I think if you if you go by the other category, it could be anything that's not DC or Marvel. And if you're going to look and describe the entire genre as an alternative to that, that's one way, but then if you, you know, that's the largest um, group to look at, but you can go on the other end of the spectrum and say that it has to be creator-owned, they can't have uh, an editor, they have to self-publish, and so you can you can get that into a really finite group. So I think it really kind of depends on what the viewer really feels is in an independent book.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, it's more it's more the editorial content, or or control, because, I mean, that's, you know, sort of where, there's no, you know, there's no, there's no agenda behind it, if it's all the creator, if it's just his words and pictures, and, and, or a team, even if it's a team, but it's just there, you know, there's no control behind it, and even a lot of smaller press stuff that's out there is like that, I mean, they're, they're paying for it to be printed, and, they they may not have any editorial control whatsoever so once again it gets it gets you know complicated because it's all your own opinion really i mean you know wh- when i talk about indie comics i'm talking about one thing but you know there is no hard line uh what is indie or what isn't and especially i mean you're talking only really american mainstream you know marvel and dc outside of this country you know the mainstream isn't considered Marvel and DC. So
1: <laughs> so so in Japan, Marvel and DC are indie.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> I think they're small press.
1: <laughs> I don't I
0: don't know <laughs> what they consider them, but they're certainly not mainstream, uh, you know. Yeah, and right. you know, that's the other thing in 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 the the manga verse, <laughs> there's you know, you have your indie, ma- you know, that stuff's way that stuff's way more, you know, indie a lot of it. I mean, not necessarily like Tokyo Pop, but a lot of the stuff that you see c- coming out of there is more along the lines of my definition of indie because it is creator controlled and, and there's no edit you know there's there's no changes happening you know there's no room full of editors going well we can't say this or we can do this that kind of thing
1: sure i was actually going to ask bruce that Um bruce i know that we've been uh... posting on the forum a little bit about some manga in my very uneducated view of the world of comics in the last few years, I, in my mind, thought of manga as, like, indie, or at least uh, a close cousin of indie. Um, how do you group those together, or, or how have you done in the past?
2: Well, I guess it's my understanding that, you know, a good, like, like, 80% of the population of Japan read manga in, you know, one genre or another. So I I guess that would be their mainstream books. Um as far as coming over here, well that's a good question. I never even thought about that. I guess it's it's independent because it's put out by again, what I what I consider independent publishers, you know. So it's it's kind of in that in that middle category, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's, it it's an odd category.
2: Listen to aroundcomics.com. It's not just for 12-year-old boys, it's for 13-year-old boys too
1: all right let 's move on to small press and alternative press as categories within indie. Uh, I know that Bruce on comics cast spends a lot of time talking about small press books. Bruce, can you elaborate on those a little bit for us?
2: Well, this is where the other level of i guess I put things into three tiers: mainstream independent, and small press small press to me is is your basic uh, mom and pop uh, you know almost printed in the basement and uh, you know, not necessarily. I mean, sometimes the folks send it out to a, a professional printer of some type. But in many cases, a lot of us that do this kind of stuff, you know, we're, we're printing it, we're copying it sometimes and, you know, folding it and collating it and stapling it. And uh, um, that's what I consider, you know, small press. Um, I know a lot of times folks will refer to independent as small press, and the the lower end of brian's uh, um, i guess the lower end of what Brian considers independent, where it's published and written and drawn and you know by one or two people, and they do the whole thing um, i I think that would be small press as well
1: yeah it 's like indie has turned into a throwaway term to describe all of these things. Um, now, we'll talk about mini-comics a little bit later in the show, but would you describe a mini-comic as a small press book?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, mini A mini-comic, technically, is, is one quarter of a full 8.5 by 11 page. So if okay. you take an 8.5 by 11 page, cut it in half, and fold those two sections in half, that's a mini-comic, technically. Um, that's, you know, what we used to a lot of us used to do, do those back in the 80s you know uh, these days it's become uh, a lot of people refer to anything that's in the digest size format in other words an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper folded in half uh, a lot of people refer to that as mini comics too and hey you know again it's I guess it's kind of subjective
0: well yeah that's I mean like I've kind of twisted the term small press to my own you know definition of it because you know tip, you know, originally small press, you know, I think that name came out of, like, you know, the British small press of, you know, the British mini-comics. I mean, that was sort of in the late 70s and 80s, you know, that was really the boom of, of that. And that's where that term, I think, originated, was, you know, small press was the guys that were making it themselves, photocopying it, you know, and stapling it and, put it in, and making the mini-comics and ash cans and all that stuff. Um, and I've sort of... I don't know how, but I sort of changed the definition of that myself to small press. I mean, you know, like Fantagraphics and, and Top Shelf, I mean, to me, those are small press companies. But I guess it does kind of go against what the true definition of small press, you know, originated as.
1: Well, I think that's something that we see that the definitions of a lot of these are. Constantly changing, um, you know. Another, another thing that we'll talk about a little bit later is print on demand, and that's very similar to small press. And we'll touch on that in a little bit, but I want to move over and talk about alternative press. And I think this kind of is the category that your Dark Horse and Oni and IDWs of the world are going to fall into. And for me personally, this is the the playground that I like to uh, to spend a lot of my time in. Uh, it, it seems to have the highest quality of work but still having a very creator owned independent feel um bruce do you spend much time in quote unquote the alternative press
2: well yeah i guess i consider alternative press the next step up from small press you know these are folks that have gotten enough of a following that they're actually making money and yet they're still able to do what they want to do i would i guess um uh, Like the um, uh, underground comics of old, I would consider alternative, you know. I just picked up uh, Mark Martin's new comic, uh, Runaways or Runaway, and (laughs) I would consider that alternative uh, because it's just really offbeat and it's not for everybody's taste by any means, and often it's adult. Is Uh, that
1: where, like, American Splendor would fall? Would that be alternative press? Well, no,
0: that was small press. I mean, he was literally doing that himself, you know. I mean, from the... Right, right, Bruce? I mean, that was...
2: You know, I honestly don't know. Uh, I I think he had somebody, you know, he had it published by a... I mean, printed by a
1: larger company. I don't know if Harvey P. Carr had enough initiative to print his own comics.
0: Well, I think initially... I don't know. Maybe I'm mistaken. It wouldn't be the first time and it won't be the last time during the show, I'm, I'm sure.
2: It's a good possibility.
0: So where would you categorize, then, like the, the you know, Image and and Dark Horse and Vertigo, um, those companies? Because, I mean, you can't really put them in the mainstream, or, or can you now put them in the mainstream with Marvel and DC? I mean, their numbers are smaller, but I guess they're distribution really isn't I mean the distribution chain is pretty much the same for Marvel as it is for for uh, you know image or, or one of these other publishing houses
2: well yeah I, I think I have to agree with you there I mean I think you know now now that you've got me thinking more about that I think I'd have to say image and dark horse are almost as mainstream as you know Marvel DC Archie uh, who else is out there is Harvey still publishing I don't know
0: i 'm not sure they come and go so quickly it 's hard to keep up, but then you have like this whole second tier of you know publishing houses like well Speakeasy, they just close their doors, but you know like them on that level um, devils do devils do you know that oni is another one where it's creator owned stuff, but it's being printed and published and distributed by you know this publishing company, and i don 't know all the ins and outs of all these different companies I, I did happen to speak with uh, Randy the managing editor at oni um, and we can we can talk about what he had to say about their sort of philosophy on on the stuff that they print um, but it is sort of convoluted now because you don't you know I mean these guys are getting the same distribution as Marvel because because there is only really you know one or two places to get comics anymore. I mean, it's direct to the...
1: Pretty, pretty much one with, with Diamond, but I think, you know, we're talking about the difference between Vertigo and, like, Image. I think the number one difference is that, uh, as far as I know, Vertigo is not a creator-owned uh, line, where everything in Image is creator line. Now, like, does does Garth Ennis own the rights to Preacher?
0: I'm sure he doesn't. No, uh, Vertigo. Yeah, his own. You know, I mean, that's that's not creator stuff. So that's a whole nother level of, of what is or isn't. Or it's hard to say anymore. I mean, you know, that's why I was kind of going with the the really hardline definition of indie because there's there's all these other publishing entities that you know, if you're in Diamond, you're getting the distribution. You may not be the mainstream that Marvel and DC is, because for whatever reason, mainstream in, in this country is superhero. You know, you're, you're producing different content, you know, different style of content.
1: Well, do you, do you feel that DC um, kind of either, you can call it a great marketing move or a really nice job of deception by coming out with Vertigo and really kind of wedging in on the independent market, it, with a totally, they didn't call it DC adult, they called it Vertigo, at, under its own imprint, and I think the, the, the layman fan is going to look at that and go, oh, that's an independent book. I mean, is it, how, do you feel that way, Bruce, that, that, you know, DC was trying to create an independent type line with that?
2: Oh, absolutely. I think, I think Marvel and DC both are looking to hog the market. I mean it, they're in business, you know, that's what they do. I mean, I don't I don't necessarily think it's good.
1: No, they're here to serve the fan. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I think
1: Oh, go ahead,
0: Bruce.
2: Oh, I I I just think that they when they created Vertigo, they said, "Oh, there is a market for this kind of thing. Let's take it upon ourselves to try to grab that market." Simple as that.
0: Yeah, well, and I, I don't think it's necessarily anything malicious in in what they're you know like they're trying to. Yeah, I mean, you see it in the films too. I mean, every you know it's like um, oh, what's the, Miramax? Um, you know, that's their indie. You know, that's but it's not an indie independent movie house. I mean, it's you know Paramount. They
1: they, they distribute independent movies.
0: Right, it's distribution of in you know and and that's.
1: Well, you look. Uh, History of Violence was a, an independent book, but now it's being distributed by Vertigo, just like Miramax would pick up a film from Sundance and distribute it. In uh, DC, is starting to do that with Vertigo. Mm-hmm.
2: Might I, might I inject one thought into this? When you were talking about the independent houses like Speakeasy or Image, a lot of those you still the, as as. Someone that writes and draws a comic, you still don't make money until the book makes money. You know, those guys aren't necessarily paid up front. Oh, they absolutely. Well, yeah,
0: generally with them, it's, you know, they're. I mean, the, yeah, the publishing house is going to take their cut first, mm-hmm. and then if it sells enough, you're, you're going to make something off it. Or, you know, I think with image, there's certain. You know, and I, and I think every deal is a little different, but I think that. The creators actually pay image to print it under their name exactly and then you know they both you know receive profits off of that so I mean everybody has sort of their own you know mm-hmm. their own way of doing it I, I did want to read like I said I had talked to um Randall Gerald he's the managing editor at oni press and uh, I had asked him you know what is sort of the philosophy behind oni what you know what makes them different than an independent creating or an independent book or, or you know Marvel or whoever and he said um, you know well we are a publishing company and as such we do pay for the printing and distribution costs In a way this allows our creators to focus on doing what they do best creating. Regarding editorial control, I have to say that we have input, but never control. We like to think of ourselves as being almost transparent. We are here to help the creator achieve their vision. If the project requires much editorial control, then we probably shouldn't have approved it in the first place. That being said, we sometimes make suggestions and give input, but at the end of the day, it is up to the creators. They own the book, after all we are here for them. As James Lucas Jones, Oni's editor-in-chief says, we don't birth the babies. At best, we help deliver them. So, I mean, that gives you at least an idea of what Oni's trying to, to accomplish, you know, where... And I think it's a good idea because you do have so many guys out there that produce these small books that nobody ever gets to see, you know, or at least they used to not be able to. You have so much more stuff coming out, and, you know, granted, like, you know anything? There's going to be a lot of bad and and some good.
1: But so we'll, we'll, we'll touch on the volume of books in just a little bit. But you know, unlike Oni, one of my favorite books uh, this year has been Local by Brian Wood. And yeah, without Oni, I probably would have never seen that book. But I can definitely see how Wood has total control of that because that is that is definitely his vision.
0: I don't. Uh, I don't think that's an Oni book.
1: Uh, is local not
0: any? I don't think so. I think that's a, actually a um I know dmz is is vertigo that's vertigo um, well it, it, I know what you mean though I mean it's it, you certainly um, know that nobody's really doing anything to change what Brian Wood's trying to do with his books. And I think that's you know it depends on the level of the creator too. I mean, sometimes people do need help. You know, I think there's plenty of people out there writing <laughs> and creating comics that could it use a good editor.
1: Sure. You you made you made me go what? It is only. Is it only? Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I've had trouble with uh, forgetting publishers before, so you had me thinking about it. Um, one of my favorite alternative press guys, who I think, is one of the you know the uh, the blue ribbon winners in that category is Mike Magnola uh, with Dark Horse. Um, Bruce, I know that you've been you know in, in and out of, of reading comics uh, for how long? How long have you been uh, reading reading comics?
2: I have a picture of myself at about two years old reading a comic so <laughs> and that was approximately 1957
1: okay 58. so uh, oh, you you you've seen a lot of changes in the industry Dark Horse is the first real alternative press um, publisher that I remember what's the first kind of big player in you know outside of the DC and Marvel world that you remember well there was there
2: was at least two that I can remember in the early, uh, was it early 80s? Uh, it was Eclipse and Kamiko, or Kamiko. Kamiko. Kamiko, okay. Uh, that seems to be... Actually, the,
0: yeah. maybe it was Kamiko. I don't know.
1: Did did they do elementals? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. They did and,
0: um, a lot of good stuff, actually.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I just I was just digging through my long boxes the other day and found the uh, the Justice Machine miniseries that Bill Lillingham uh wrote and I was like, Oh my gosh, look how old that is and he's still still doing good work. Yes. Um, so as far as alternative press we'll, we'll, we'll move on here in just a minute but what do you see the future for alternative press? Do you see them continuing to get a bigger and bigger influence on the market or do you see DC and Marvel continuing to kind of edge them out as they broaden their scope with Virgo and the Max line and, and Icon and all that um, Bruce you go ahead
2: you know it's a good question I, I, I have high hopes for alternative press it's not that I don't like Marvel and DC. Believe me, I, I read my... You know, my... You know, I read a bunch of those myself. But uh, I I really like to see somebody new with a different concept, a different idea, uh, come in and, you know, do something totally different. I, I, You know, I'd like to see a lot more ideas tossed out there, a lot, a lot of different types of stories, you know. That, but honestly, I... You know the big businessmen
1: usually win. You know. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, Sal. How about you? What do you see the future of alternative press?
0: Um. Honestly, I probably see more of a manga influence than anything, and and I think that in the in the, the not too distant future, you're going to see more of that style of alternative press than you will necessarily, you know, Vertigo or Dark Horse. I think they're going to have more and more competition, uh, you know, you already see, you know, just teens and kids today read more manga than they do, you know, Marvel or DC, let alone Dark Horse or Vertigo or, or whoever else, so I think you're going to see more competition, so I, I, you know, I don't think the, f- the future necessarily looks bright, and that's, you know, like Bruce says, I, I, I love to see, you know, new ideas and different ideas and new things coming out, so I, I would hate to think that there is a dark future, but unless, you know, things sort of change here uh, in this industry, I think we're going to have some problems in the future competing against, you know, manga.
1: I'm sure, you see the markets are getting smaller and smaller, and I think that Marvel and DC... <laughs> Survive that just by their sheer volume, but uh, you look at you look at you know Oni, IDW, Dark Horse, you know, uh, twelve or fifteen of the other guys out there, and you know, it's going to be uh, increasingly more difficult for them. Yeah, I think so. I mean,
0: I think they're going to have to, at least in the singles trade, you know, in the singles business, I think it's going to be more difficult. But you know, they may have to change the business model of of, you know going towards more digest stuff and trade stuff and and maybe try and follow um... that pattern more to to compete
2: and i think that's where that's where marvel and dc may fall down on their faces because they're not they don't adapt very easily where the smaller companies they're probably looking around and saying okay how do we sell comics they look and they see okay mangas manga excuse me is selling really well why don't we do something off beat and maybe put it in a in a, a volume like that and you know try to imitate that
0: well I certainly would be if you know if that was what I was trying to do I, I certainly would because you know and you know it was a good it's it's a good you know thought that you know a big a big bus doesn't doesn't turn corners as quickly as as a small one you know so it's um you know making those changes fast enough will be a good question to see if Marvel and DC can do that, or yeah. if they need to. I don't know. I mean, you know, they seem pretty confident in what they're doing, and, and they have a huge fan base, but you have to think that at some point it's going to, you know, come to a, a, a critical stage. <laughs>
2: AroundComics.com, your source for discussion, news, and reviews about your favorite comics and creators. New podcasts available every Monday. Go to www.aroundcomics.com.
1: All right, let's take uh, a couple minutes here and look at a little bit of the history of indie comics. Now, I know that, Sal, you've been taking a look at some stuff in the last couple weeks. Uh, What's some of the things you've been able to find?
0: Well you know and, and you know by no means am I an expert on on the history of uh, indie or underground comics but but from what I've been able to sort of piece together and some interesting information that I, I hadn't really known if you look at in this country and this is you know, we're basically talking about the United States or North America, as far as, you know, in relation to mainstream or indie. But the first, you know, real indie comics were, you know, what they called Tijuana Bibles, which anybody that, you know, read Watch- uh, Watchmen knows that they mentioned those in there. And those were sort of parodies, little tiny, you know, eight-page, black-and-white, printed, um generally pornographic or, you know, huge sexual content and, and parroting famous people from the days, and those started in, like, the 19, late 1920s, 1930s, and ran through after World War II, and were hugely popular and completely illegal, and from what I've been able to find out, not really printed in Tijuana, um, the, for whatever reason they were called Tijuana Bibles, and, and there were some different names for them and stuff, but those were really sort of the first underground independent comics, and nobody really knows who produced them. They would get bootlegged, you know, constantly, and, and people would get sold, And uh, but, you know, if you look at sort of the history of independent comics, I think those in this country, those were some of the first comics ever printed that weren't just... Um, reprints of strips you know that was before you know before superman and, and superheroes and all that stuff and before that it was you know any actual comic books were being printed as uh... just reprints of stuff that you saw in the newspapers of comic strips so these were some sort of the first underground comics and then like i said those went up through about um... 1946, 47, late late nineteen forties fifties, I, I really couldn't find much information on what was going on in, you know, in independent comics in the fifties, uh, so I don't really have an answer for that decade, basically. And then in the sixties, obviously, with the, uh, sort of counterculture and, and, and you had your underground comics with an axe, that really took off, and, and that was stuff being traded in, you know, uh, and more, um, is sort of that traditional, uh, Small press stuff that people were doing it themselves, and and these guys were like Art Spiegelman and and Robert Crumb, and and they started doing stuff, and and that stuff was getting sold really only in like head shops and and places like that. But they started to get this you know following, and and there was interesting one thing I found, and you know, there was like. Basically, three p- major places of underground comics, and you know, it was, it was California, New York, and then Chicago had its own underground oh. comic. Um, they called it the Bijou. Oh, what was it now? I can't remember off the top of my head. I had it, and I can't remember. So well, it doesn't funnies? It was Bijou Funnies or something like that? And 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 that stuff ran, um, I think, uh, into the 70s, and then. Those guys, you know, I, Spiegelman and Crumb were, were really your two kind of leaders of that, um, and then they started publishing their own stuff that wasn't really, I guess, I, I guess they don't really consider it underground comics any longer. I mean, you had Raw Magazine and Weirdo Magazine from Crumb, and they were trying to show other artists, other ar- underground artists and other you know, people that weren't getting published in, in mainstream stuff, um, and that really started sort of a boom of, of independent comics in the 80s and 90s of people doing it themselves, and really, you know, that flourished huge, um, and then you had, I think, I think it was, um, at the same time you had the emergence of, like, fanographics that started to print, um, European comics, and especially like, uh, here, you know, they had Love and Rockets, which wasn't a European comic, but, um, that was their big title, and, and that sort of really showed what could be done in, you know, outside of the superhero genre, and, and really got people going, uh, into it, and that, you know, that started in the 70s and ran through the 80s, all, all the way up to the 90s, I think, but, um, and now you have you know up you know in the in the late or mid to late 90s and and now you have you know more of this alternative scene where you have stuff like um, Daniel Close, Eight Ball, and and Chris Ware and his uh, things that he's been doing the Acme Novelty and and a lot of other you know Peter Bag and I mean there's tons of these guys that I'm not completely familiar with but they're doing you know they're doing I guess what you would call the alternative. Comics of today, so that's—I mean—that's sort of a—a
1: a, a brief history, brief of incomplete
0: history. history. I mean, it, you know, that's just, like I said, it's—I'm by no means a historian when it comes to this stuff. Well, Anything there I, that I missed, uh, Bruce? That you can maybe?
2: Well, well I think there's—you know—there there's a lot of factors that contributed to um, the upper echelon of independent, what I call the upper echelon of independent, what you might call the the you know the uh, lesser echelon of the, the mainstream. But, you know, you got to remember that, well, okay, the, you had the alternative or the underground press, but it was in the late 60s, early 70s that the cost of newsprint went kind of sky high and the big companies had to start char- charging more for their comics. Okay, That's number one problem. Uh, number two, uh, you know, they started losing newsstand distribution. And, and then the the comic shops started appearing and there was distribution uh, uh, phil suling had something to do with it and i just i totally don't really understand you know what he did i guess he set up the first distribution network to comic shops but then in the, within the comic shops there were you know you had this group of people that were going to these shops week after week they were fans of comics and my recollection, I mean, this is all from memory, but my, my recollection is, was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. They put that book out, and, and then by the third printing of that book, it started getting into comic shops. And it just, it, it sold really well. Eastman and Laird, uh, you know, ma- made it big with their toy contracts. And all of a sudden, everybody wanted to publish a comic. You know, and that's when that big black and white boom hit in the 80s, and eventually there was a big black and white bust because you had Marvel and DC, they wanted that market back, they didn't want to lose that to anybody else. They started flooding the market, the comic shops got overstocked, some of them went out of business, distribution companies went out of business, it was a bad time, you know. Uh, But, you know, I think that had a lot to do with the independent, the the, the comic shops, I think that's a really important, uh, you know, piece of the puzzle.
1: That's actually what, kind of interesting because, as you know, growing up in the the '80s mostly, and I, I remember my. F- really the first comic that I really got into, you know, I was a big Doctor Who fan, and, and you know, so I picked up some, some comics from the UK, but the first book that I really got into was Teenage Ninja Turtles, so it's interesting that the the real first big influence on my fanship was an independent book, and then, of course, I went from there and, and went into mainstream, and, and then the the entire, you know, the whole crash of the 90s, that, you know, was the, the image thing and, and whatnot, but, uh, you yeah. I think you also
0: had in the '80s. You had a lot of you know, there was some British stuff that was coming through too. That that was you know a lot of times black and white, and and that led you know with the whole punk scene. I think that just sort of added to it um, as well. You know, uh, added to the the boom.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I you know I see you know that's kind of the the brief history of independent comics. Let's uh, take a couple minutes and look at the future of indie comics and some of the different ways that comics are being made and distributed now. Uh, One of the real good friends of the show is Dave Wachter, who is the artist for Scar Tissue. He uh, works under the the Ronin imprint, and they have a very interesting way of producing their comics, and that is print-on-demand. Sal, can you talk a little bit about print-on-demand and how this is affecting the independent comic market well you know depending on who you'll talk to you'll have people that are
0: completely for it and then there's people that are not so for it and the reason is it what it does well is it allows people to present something and get something printed you know quickly relatively cheaply and and Nice quality. Nice quality, yeah. I mean, if, if you're not familiar with what print-on-demand is, Comic Press, and, and there's a couple other companies that do it, um, you know, basically you send them your digital files of your comic, you tell them how you want it printed, and then you can order a certain amount from them if you want. You can order one if you want, and they basically keep the files there, When and you, can send, you send people there to buy a comic, um, and they can buy it, and it'll print. Right, you know, they'll print it and send it to the person who bought it. So it's, you don't have to buy, you know, five thousand uh, pieces of your comic to to get a decent price on it. You, you can, you know, I think you can buy you can make a 24 page black and white with a color cover I think for somewhere like a dollar forty a piece if you buy maybe 500 or, or maybe even less than that if you buy a hundred or two hundred of them you will basically be paying like a buck forty a piece which means you can turn around and, and actually you know maybe make a profit off of it. I mean obviously that doesn't count the time invested in making it but as far as your actual dollars you know being spent printing it, your
1: upfront investment yeah, a lot less. So
0: way. it makes it a heck of a lot easier for anybody that wants to to publish a comic that is you know good quality and you don't have to spend a ton of money to do it. But you know you you talk to a lot of people that are you know in into independent comics. Um, you know it used to be you'd sort of search through maybe you know fifty seventy-five comics to find five or six good ones and now you know you search through thousand fifteen hundred you know two thousand comics to find twelve good ones you know so the ratio of comics that are out there is huge but there's not necessarily that many more good ones and obviously that's you know sort of your own taste what you think but I think you know anybody that has gone and and looked at a lot of the stuff that's coming out from from independent you know houses like this or you know it isn't necessarily really polished it isn't necessarily really good and and to find something that's really good is rare i mean it's just the nature of the
1: beast well that's a that brings up a question i was going to have for bruce bruce you're constantly suggesting small press books and indie books on comics cast and it amazes me because you're able to find them how do you find good independent books because there's literally thousands out there to choose from.
2: Well, my best way is there's a couple of conventions that are strictly for independent and small press. Um, one of them is coming up in uh, May. I think May 19th or 20th. I'd have to look. It's called SPACE. Uh, and that stands for something, but uh, it, just call it SPACE. It's in Columbus, Ohio. And it is One afternoon, 10 to 6, or one day, Saturday. And it's just wonderful. I mean, it's just table after table of all these, uh, you know, small press and independent publishers. And they're there hawking their own stuff. In fact, I think Dave's going to be there.
1: I'm sure he will be. That sounds like something that Dave would be into.
2: And then there's another one in the fall in Bethesda, Maryland, which is much closer for me. Um, You know, the space convention is about a a seven-and-a-half-hour ride. Uh, so we usually stay overnight for that one, but then uh, Bethesda I can go down in one day because it's only like, uh, you know, like a three-hour three drive for me, and that that one is even larger. I mean, that one that one is nice. There's several ballrooms or you know several rooms that have uh, different publishers. You know, anywhere from like I said, you know, people doing you know the basement comics up to uh, you know companies like Fantagraphics and. Uh, I can't think of some of the names right off hand... Top, right, top Shelf
0: or... Oh. Um, yes, exactly. That kind of level of... of, of publisher.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce, one of the next things that we want to talk about, and I'll, I'll start with you, and then go back over to Sal, is web comics. You know, we talk about print on demand or some of the the small press expos, but obviously, the cheapest way to get your work out there is to just post it onto the web, and then try and and get any sort of buzz that you can. People just Go to the internet, look at your work, and it seems to have created an entire different genre of comic fans, the people that enjoy web comics. Um, have you checked any out? Um, uh, what are your feelings on using um, the, the internet as a way to view comics?
2: I think it's a great idea. I just don't think people, you know, I, I just don't know how many people actually go and look at all these different sites. I do find that when I've gone to a lot of the different webcomic sites, it's invariably people that are imitating the manga style, which I, I, there's something that just bothers me about that. You know, this is a Japanese art form, and we've got all these people here, and they're just blatantly. You know, using that style, some are good at it, some are not so good at it, but that that's neither here nor there. I mean it, you know it, it's not always just the art that sells something. I can tell you that. Um, but you know I, when they and, and then, and then the, the really good ones you end up having to pay for you know what and in, and in the end, they end up publishing them in a book, and that's what I end up buying.
1: So you're, I, you're the type you, you need to hold on to it. And that's, that's something that I think Sal and I talked about this week is the the person that will go and view a webcomic and then there are still the collector mentality out there. Um, mm-hmm. Sal, if you want to expound on that a little bit. Well, there was
0: a, it was an article I, I had read, um, I think on The Pulse. I don't remember who wrote it off the top of my head and I should have probably researched that. But anyway, it was basically a conversation he was having with a retailer about the difference between you know a a person who buys comics and a person that reads web comics and it's and it's two different types of people um... there they don't cross over as much as you would think in his opinion um... people you know collectors or not collect but comic book paper comic book readers they're they want you know complete runs of stuff they want to, to have it in their hand they want a tangible something to hold on to and they do have this sort of collector mentality where the majority of webcomic readers view it as you know and they're generally younger and they view it as something that they just do online it's like going on myspace or you know reading their email it's something that's out there and i kinda relate it to sort of people that still read the sunday funnies every week but never buy a comic book you know i'm sure there's you know plenty of people that that do that it doesn't cost them anything to go and, you know, pick up their newspaper, well, you know, may cost them a quarter or fifty cents, but, you know, they read the Sunday Funnies. I have friends that I know read, you know, read those every week, but they never bought a comic book. It, it's just sort of two different mentalities, for whatever reason, that don't nece- necessarily always cross over. But, as far as web comics, I mean, to me, it just seems like, you know, if I was publishing something myself, and, and this is what I see, this sort of mentality from creators that, okay, I'm going to create this book, I'm going to print it, and then I'm going to try and sell every copy I can. And I understand that, but if you're if you're making your own book, if you're a small, you know, mini comic guy, or you're just trying to break into the industry, especially if you're just trying to break into the industry, wouldn't it just make more sense to do a digital comic and get it and was, you know, make a PDF of it and send it to everybody you possibly could just to get your name out there and show your work I mean you're never going to get rich off of printing your independent comics rarely I mean you know, Dave Sim aside it's rarely ever going to happen that you're going to even make back the money you're going to spend on printing it
1: well, I think a lot of that comes down to doing it to break in the, into the industry, and then being a creator that does it for the love of the craft. Well, there yeah. is
0: that too, and I, I did leave that out. That there, there are I, guys that are just doing it because they they want to do it, and they want. But you, if that's the case, don't you want as many people as, as you can, you know, to see it and to read it, and to, you know, try and connect with them on it? So if you're doing it just for the love of it and not to either make money or break into the industry, why not do it digitally and, and get it out there as much as you possibly can? But I,
2: I think the uh, digital thing is a really good idea because, like you said, you can put it up on the Internet, and then when you get enough of it, you can publish it. You can advertise it right there and say, mm-hmm. hey, by the way, I've published it in a hard cubby copy if you want to, uh, you know, have it and keep it, and here it is, you know.
0: And I think so you'll get people that definitely, like you said, you know, y- you do it, and I think you definitely will get people that that will um, buy it even if they've read it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the best uh, produced web comics is a, is a website called Apple Geeks, and it's these two college kids that um, uh, have done it for like three years now. Um, and they're obviously fans of, you know, like anime and manga and superheroes, and they kind of blend that all into their webcomic, but it's a beautiful, beautiful yeah, webcomic. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of the best-looking ones that I've ever seen, and, um, it, you know at some point they're going to publish it, and, and I'd probably buy it, just because it's it looks great, and I would want a hard copy of it. uh mm-hmm. So. We'll, have
1: to, uh, we'll have to put a link up on the forum because it is it is a very fun book that they put out. And it's usually what like one, kind of one page at a time, isn't it?
0: Yeah, they're generally doing one page at a time, and I think they do. I think he does a, one or two a week. Uh, they've been become pretty prolific with it. Well,
1: I I, I definitely definitely see web comics as being a a low-cost way for creators to get the word out on their book, but I think that you both summed it up that there has to be some way to tangibly hold it, not just off of your, your inkjet printer at home, that at some point you have to collect them and get them into the comic shops.
2: You're listening to Around Comics. It's like talking to your best friend's sister. And she's hot.
1: All right. Well, let's let's take a look at some listener emails that we got here this past week uh, in the world of indie comics. Uh, Sal, what do you have for us?
0: Uh, Let's see. Our first one is from uh, Dark Coupon, uh, Brian Cooper. He he says, uh, you may know me as Dark Coupon on the forum. I wanted to give you my thoughts on indie books. I feel that the indies are the best on the market. Besides Infinite Crisis, the books that I am most looking forward to are Emo Boy, Fables Testament, The Exterminators. Even though my, uh, even though it isn't catching on, or so my LCS says, and books that I'm really excited about. Although there's only one book is American Virgin and American Spirit. Just some thoughts, Brian. So I mean, his definition of indie is obviously not necessarily what I would consider India. I mean, Fables, and Testament, and, and The Exterminators are all being put out by more of your mainstream alternative, but um, but I think he's right. I mean, the, you know, I think there's, there's some great stuff in all of those. I mean, Fables is is a great book, and The Exterminators, you know, it's only been three issues, but there's certainly good stuff, Tony Moore and and that, so
1: yeah it's uh you know we're getting you know right back into the vertigo that d c has really blurred the line as to what uh, an independent book may or may not be. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce, have you read Exterminators?
2: I've bought it, I haven't read it. I, I'm a big fan of Tony Moore's artwork ever since he did Walking Dead and uh, I bought Exterminators and Fear Agent and I haven't read either one of them yet.
1: They're, they're both outstanding. Exterminators is the book that I feel guilty for liking it so much because it is so <laughs> twisted.
0: It's beautifully horrific is how I described that one. It is it is good, though. He, he I got to say, as disgusting as some of the images are, I mean, he really has shown you know, his talent in that book, I think, more so than any of the other books that he's worked on, at least that I've seen. I mean, he's done some stuff that it's horrible to look at, but at the same time, it's like, wow, that's... That's some good drawing you know, artwork. <laughs> no,
1: nobody draws uh, horrific gore as beautifully as Tony Moore. So. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, the next one we have is from uh, Matt Kramer or Darth Kramer, uh, as he goes by on the forums.
1: He is says, this, the alt, this is the all Darth emails.
0: All Darth, I guess I don't know. Uh, He says, "Hey guys, I just wanted to give a few comments on the state of independent comics. I love independent books, but unfortunately, their downfall is that you need to do a lot of investigation into these books to even find out they exist. There are a lot of good books coming out through Image, Dark Horse, Devil's Due, and IDW, but unfortunately, for the later three, a lot of their stuff is in licensed properties. Now I know that licensed properties are good for indie companies as they keep the money flowing in, allowing them to put out other books." But a reliance on licensed properties could lead to the downfall of the companies if they put too much stock in that income. In the early 90s, Valiant did it right and used their revenue from their licensed properties to purchase characters and hire creators to create a universe of their own. A lot of these other companies seem to put their licensed properties first and their other titles second, but you need to cater to where the money is coming from. Outside of those four companies, there's a lot of great stuff out there, but you really need to go out of your way to find it. Stuff like 100 girls dead at seventeen and Jenna are floating around there around out there, but haven't found an audience due to the erratic shipping schedules, retailers not getting their books, etc So all in all, there's a lot of great stuff out there in the independent world if you're able to find it. take care
1: well yeah, I think he brings up a very important point, and my local comic shop does a really good job of stocking. Indies but the problem is they never know how many to order because the the indie consumer is so erratic they may show up one month and never show up again and the books themselves may show up one month and never again so Indies by their nature are very hard for the the local comic shops to to stock but you know talking about the uh, the license materials I know that like without GI Joe that devils do I mean that's you know that, and what they're doing—Transformers and Family Guy. You know that's an important part of their business.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I see what uh, what he's saying—that they, you know, they definitely you have to you have to keep the business going, you know, one way or another. And if that that means you know the licensing stuff, I've never, for whatever reason, been a big fan of licensed comics. Um, I've read some Star Wars stuff that was pretty good, but for whatever reason, I just never got into it. So. Uh, but, it, hey, you know what? If you can keep a publishing company going by licensing products and then put out good in, you know, other stuff
1: too, hey, I'm all for it. Well, I know that Bruce is a huge G.I. Joe fan.
2: Uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: <I know his laughs> what do you is. think, Bruce? Uh, uh, with, uh, with the licensing, will, will you take some licensing if it opens up some avenues to get uh, other books out there?
2: Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, I've got to admit, I most of the licensed license stuff I... You know, I'm oblivious to it. So, I I mean, I know it's being published by some of the companies that, you know, I buy some of the smaller press independent titles from. But, but hey, you know, what the heck? I mean, like I said, my son loves it. I mean, my son's 25. And, uh, you know, if it says G.I. Joe or um, Transformers, he buys it because he's been buying that stuff since he was a kid.
0: Well, that's a really good point because if you think about it, I mean, that's a safe way, you know, if you have a parent walking into a comic book store and you're not sure what, you know, Dead at 17 might be, but you know what G.I. Joe or Transformers or Star Wars is going to be pretty much. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, you can buy it for your kid and and be pretty safe that, uh, one, they may enjoy it, and two, that, uh, that they're, you know, safe reading it.
1: It's not yep. going to be a Tony Moore book. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, okay, the last one I have is from David Price. Uh, he says, Greetings and salutations, gentlemen. I was wondering if any of today's panelists have read Grendel and wanted their thoughts, if so. And if not, why not? Uh, at the beginning of the year, I sat down with the remastered mini Dark Horse Published that reprinted almost the entire run ori- originally pu- published by Comico. Uh, bah, bah, bah. Anyway, the original series lasted forty issues, all written by Matt Wagner and illustrated by the Pander Brothers, Bernie Moreau, and Wagner himself. Uh, he goes into some more about who, who uh, drew it. Uh, and then in two thousand, Dark Horse started releasing remastered editions in the form of mini series of each story arc. There have been a few Grendel comics here and there, aside from the ones mentioned above, but. Knowing that the original run was written in the late 80s, you can tell how far ahead of their time they were. These books are not for anyone expecting light and breezy. These are stories with adult language and situations. I'm glad I didn't read these titles as they came out over the past two years. Sitting down reading them one after another made a lot of sense and I was able to follow the stories a lot better. I highly recommend Grendel to anyone who is looking for something just outside the norm or wants to try a title that strays from web-slingers and flying Kryptonians. Enjoy, David Price.
1: That's. Uh, I wonder if that's David from the, the forum. That his his avatar is, is always been Grendel of some sort. It is. Yes. It, it, it sure is. It's. I you know. I remember Grendel. Uh, that was like my later junior high and high school years. And uh, and uh, Sal and I had talked about it about the same time. Mage was coming out. And like Grendel and Mage and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, all kind of about the same time. And that was if you didn't want to read superheroes, those were the books that all my friends really. enjoyed.
2: Yeah, I was scarfing that stuff up left and right. Uh I, I might have even bought the uh Comico Primer. Uh I think it was number two that introduced uh Grendel.
0: Oh yeah, I do remember that. Um you know I, I, I was a huge fan of Mage, um, and I was reading a lot of other stuff uh around that time. I read some Grendel, I never really got into the book. Um, for whatever reason, uh, although at the time I was, you know, in high school, I think, so... Uh, but I have sort of planned to buy those remastered editions because I have wanted to go back and, and read the complete run. I just haven't had the time to do it, but uh, but I, I've heard, you know, nothing but, but oh, love yeah, well, for Grendel. I mean, that's... A,
1: that was the dark and gritty stuff, and then DC about what you know about that same time or just after came out with Dark Knight Returns, and so I think for you know fans my age at the time, it, we could get dark and gritty, but we could do it with Batman instead of having to track down Grendel, and so just from my viewpoint, that you know that's what I did instead. Um, I, I wouldn't do that now.
0: You were just a Marvel zombie and couldn't ever think of buying anything other than Marvel or DC.
1: I was (laughs) fourteen.
0: I was reading like I think American American Flag at the time was one of my favorite and and Badger. I was reading first comic stuff. (laughs) So
1: yeah, but but that says a lot about you.
0: Well, true enough. So that's all the emails I have uh, this week. Um, If anyone wants to send us emails, next week we're going to be talking about manga. Manga. So um, if you want to send in any emails regarding that or any emails at all.
1: Um, send them to info at com.
0: Absolutely,
1: and uh, I talked to Matt S who's going to be our guide down the, uh, the uh, steep path of manga and he has uh, requested that if anyone has any questions about manga because a lot of people uh, haven't uh, gotten into it yet that he would love to get email questions that he will answer during the show next week so please do that. Um, guys let's, uh, let's do some final thoughts here um, Bruce give us uh, kind of a, a, a quick wrap up on your feelings about indie as a genre and where you feel it's heading to
2: Well I like independent and small press comics because They don't have the editorial restraints that, you know, the big mainstream companies do. These folks get to do what they want. They want to have, they get to have fun with it. When they're having fun, I'm generally having fun. So it's kind of a win win situation for me.
1: Um, Sal, how about you?
0: Uh, you know, I think with any artistic medium, you're going to see the cutting edge come out of of the independent side of it, and then the mainstream kind of follows along, so I'm all for independent stuff, I don't, you know, I think um, the more indie stuff that's out there, the more people trying to produce comics, yeah, you're going to have a lot of maybe not so great stuff, but it's just going to have that much more opportunity to produce those gems that, that we always see come out of, out of the independent creators, so I'm absolutely all for it.
1: Now well, I'm going to agree with both of you and say that, you know, the genre as it's on, as we kind of talked about today, is so huge to pin down to a couple different books or, or genres within indie that uh, it, it's the playground that I decide to read in, but it is a huge playground. Um it, my challenge is finding the, the needles in the haystack out there. And uh, it's uh, thankfully for you know, podcasts like Comics Cast, I'm able to do that. So uh, I just want to challenge listeners out there to deviate a little bit from the norm um, experiment with comics, try and find new stuff, um, challenge yourself to pick up something new at the comic shop or in your DCBS order. Whenever you put those in, just find something, give it a try, and understand that those creators are, are working so hard to do something just to get it in front of you. Um, guys, we could talk about indie comics and alternative for hours but I think we're going to wrap up today's uh, discussion. Uh, Bruce, thanks for all your input. Let's, um, uh, definitely stay tuned because we have some stories that are pertinent to the indie market but uh, let's move over to the news desk for Wired Wire comic news. These are your top headlines for the week of March 13th, 2006. New Absolute Editions from DC Announced Two new Absolute Editions, Absolute Kingdom Come and Absolute Dark Knight, are among the highlights of DC Comics' list of new collected editions scheduled to arrive in stores in July and August. The Absolute Kingdom Come hardcover collects the immortal work written by Mark Waid and illustrated by Alex Ross, with Ross providing a brand new cover painting. The Absolute Dark Knight collects both The Dark Knight Returns, written by Frank Miller and illustrated by Miller and Klaus Janson, and The Dark Knight Strikes Again, written and illustrated by Miller. The Absolute Kingdom Come hardcover will be 340 pages and retail for $75. The Absolute Dark Knight hardcover will be a whopping 512 pages and retail for $99.99. For a complete list of DC's scheduled collected editions, go to AroundComics.com. actor benefit book announced a commitment to our roots Actor, a non-profit organization dedicated to raising funds for comic book creators in need, has announced that they will be producing a trade paperback comic with the proceeds benefiting Actor. Jim McLaughlin, the president of Actor, announced that the benefit book would feature stories and pin-ups donated by the industry's top talent. The book is scheduled to run 150 pages with a full-color cover and black and white interior. The benefit book will be solicited through Diamond Comic Distributors at a later date as well as being released at the Baltimore Comic Convention to be held this September 9th and 10th. More details concerning the benefit book will be provided as they become available. For more information on Actor, please visit www.actorcomicfund.org. Context goes live in 06. Context is a cutting-edge tool designed to send news and announcements into the palm of the convention-goer's hand, literally. Context is a live SMS cell phone newsletter created to help you find out what's happening, where it's at, and how you can take advantage of the latest offers and information, live from the convention floor. For a nominal fee, Context subscribers will get celebrity appearance announcements, exclusive products, Contest, headlines, and special context-only discounts and deals, all sent to their cell phones several times a day throughout the convention. Context is being developed for use at all major entertainment conventions this year and debuted at Wizard World Los Angeles this past weekend. To find out more, go to www.bravenewworldcomics.com or visit aroundcomics.com. E-Man returns. E-Man, the energy being from outer space who makes his home on Earth as a superhero, returns to comics this September from Digital Webbing Press. Created by Nicole Cudi and Joe Stanton for Charlton Comics in 1973, E-Man has always been a fan favorite, marked by equal amounts of action, mystery, and humor. E-Man enjoyed a 10-issue run with Charlton followed by 25 issues from first comics in the 1980s. Digital Webbing will release a one-shot E-Man this fall by series creators Cootie and Stanton. The full-color E-Man one-shot will be solicited in the July issue of Previews for a September release. True Stories Moves to Image. Tom Boland is moving his comic book series, True Story, Swear to God, to Image Comics. True Story, Swear to God, number 17, will be the last issue published under Boland's Clibs Boy Comics imprint. True Story, Swear to God, number 1, from Image Comics, should be out in August. The move to Image will provide Boland with some prime catalog real estate in the front section of Diamond's previews, and also relieve him of the hassle of shipping, storing, and billing, as well as eliminating the burden of coming up with production costs for each issue. Spider-Man in Arabic. The wait is finally over. After significant buzz surrounding Marvel Comics expansion into the Middle East, Teshkiel Media Group has begun its licensed publishing program with the release of the first ever issue of Spectacular Spider-Man in Arabic. Spectacular Spider-Man, the first children's magazine to feature the popular character in the region, is now available in 13 countries, including the GCC, Egypt, Jordan, and Lebanon. The magazine, which caters to preteens, hopes to address the lack of quality children's entertainment in the region. The magazine, which is published by Teshkiel Comics, We'll follow Spider-Man's adventures each month. Every issue comes individually wrapped and includes a free gift, as well as exclusive access to upcoming events, contests, and promotions. Subscriptions for the magazine will be available through www.teshkielcomics.com. Upcoming publications from Tej Kiel will include comic books and trade paperbacks featuring several of Marvel's most well-known and successful titles, like Fantastic Four, X-Men, and Incredible Hulk. Additional titles are being planned for release to coincide with the upcoming X-Men 3 and Ghost Rider motion pictures. Rockado! Trade from Image it's finally here, a collection of the critically acclaimed Rockado series. Lauded as innovative and groundbreaking with a unique style, Rockado Volume 1, The Journey to the Hidden Sea, collects issues 0 through 6 of the Rockado series, which is an adventurous tale of New World Mapper, Rockado Garrison, and his wild band of misfits. The 256 page book is brimming with extras, including conceptual sketches, background information on the New World, pinups by some of today's leading comic book artists and a wonderful introduction and illustration by famed artist Alex Ross. rocket o Volume 1, Journey to the Hidden Sea, is on sale now. DC announces prequels to Superman Returns. DC Comics, the largest English language publisher of comic books worldwide in Warner Brothers Pictures, announced today that Superman Returns director Brian Singer and Superman Returns screenwriters Michael Dougherty and Dan Harris are providing the plots to four comic book prequels to Superman Returns. The four 40-page comic book prequels will be published by DC Comics throughout the month of June and will bridge the gap between the first Superman film and Superman Returns, which premieres in theaters on June 30th. For a full list of each prequel and their creative teams, go to www.aroundcomics.com. Cartoon Network signs a fantastic deal. Cartoon Network has ordered 26 episodes of a new animated rendition of Fantastic Four from Marvel Entertainment for a fall premiere. The series revolves around the crime-fighting adventures of the famous Marvel Comics Superhero Quartet, Mr. Fantastic, The Invisible Woman, The Human Torch and The Thing, and their battles with villainous Doctor Doom. The Fantastic Four has been one of Marvel's most enduring superhero franchises. The foursome first appeared in their own comics in 1961, and have had several incarnations as movies and TV series. The latest live-action film rendition was a hit in the summer for director Tim Story and 20th Century Fox, which is developing a sequel. Look for Fantastic Four on Cartoon Network this fall. Penn State University is teaching with comics. Rhetoric and composition instructors at Penn State are using an unlikely teaching tool in their classrooms, comic books. Last semester, they used Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics in their freshman level courses. This semester, the book is still being used by some of the instructors. Instructor Kim Cremens used Understanding Comics last semester for four classes. The first chapter of the book gives an in-depth definition of comic books, which Kremens said he found useful when teaching his students. For more on this story about teaching with comics, go to aroundcomics.com. 300 The Movie Website, now online. The 300 comic book was a great visual masterpiece that told the tale of 300 Spartan soldiers and their fight against the Persian army. The official film website is now online. It looks like producers and directors are really taking this process seriously and are trying to stay faithful to the original comic book, which is still available online and through comic book stores. The website has some great production videos, blogs, pictures, and a download section is coming soon. Check it out at 300themovie.warnerbros.com. Writer Alan Moore doesn't like V for Vendetta. Back to press for one year later. After quick sellouts of DC Comics three one year later issues, JSA number eighty three, Aquaman's Sword of Atlantis number forty, and Superman's number six fifty, they're being sent back to press for new printings. The new printings of all three are scheduled to arrive in stores on April 5th. To ensure delivery by April 5th, retailers must place orders by Sunday, March 26th. Please note that quantities will be limited and may sell out before March 26th. Retailers may order the issues by contacting their Diamond Customer Service Representative, DC Sales Representative, or email at reorders at diamondcomics.com. These have been your top headlines for the week of March 13th, 2006. For the full version of these and other stories, go to www.aroundcomics.com, your source for the best in comic news, reviews, and opinions. All right, guys, there's our uh, top headlines for the week. Uh, not a whole lot of groundbreaking stuff, but it was a very busy week, uh, news-wise. Um, we'll go down the list here real quick. Uh, the new Absolute Editions from DC. And I will add uh, that that full story on Around Comics has a huge list of collected editions, but we're just talking about the uh, the Absolute ones. Um, Sal, you excited about uh, Kingdom Come and the Absolute Dark Knight?
0: No, because... It's going to cost me like $200 on those darn things. And No, uh, seriously, though, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll probably be buying them both. Um, I, I own the uh, Absolute Watchmen and Absolute League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and they're just awesome uh, additions. I mean, the oversized, hardcover, beautiful reprintings, and, and lots of extras
1: and stuff. So, yeah, I'm sure I'll be buying them. This will be like the eighth time that you've bought Dark Knight in some way, shape, or form. Um, no, I have the original comics that I purchased, uh, I have a graphic
0: trade that I read all the time, um, so it'll be the third, it'll be
1: the third. How about you, Bruce, are, uh, uh, not just these, but how are you liking all the absolute editions that, uh, that are coming out here recently?
2: No, I've honestly never seen one.
1: They're <laughs> awesome. <laughs> they are yes, absolutely They sound great, gorgeous. everybody
2: talks about them, and I, and, uh. I'll have to look around and I, I don't know that my comic shop carries them which is amazing because they carry everything
1: they are Maybe really expensive old- you're going to drop usually about a hundred bucks on them but uh, Sal picked up the Absolute Watchmen and it is it, with Dave Gibbons art blown up it is, there's so much that you'd feel like you can just dive into these things so I great. I absolutely love them he's I'm waiting for the, the Absolute
0: final. Cerebus Edition oh god <laughs> <laughs> to be backed, it's got to be delivered by
1: helicopter. I
2: was—I <laughs> was, I was going to say it comes with a hand truck.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I know that you're looking forward to the absolute dark night. I'm looking forward to the absolute kingdom come. That's one of my favorite ones. But we'll—we'll uh, come uh, we'll over to actor. Uh, anyone that is not familiar with actor please get familiar with them it is an absolutely wonderful foundation that uh, they basically um, do drives to get money for uh, comic creators from years past that aren't able to take care of like medical costs and you know unfortunately burial costs. so uh, anything that you can do to help out actor please do so um, go to, uh, www.actorcomicfund.org.
0: And they always have, creators usually are signing at the actor booths in, uh, at conventions, and you can go there and, and get, you know, an autograph. I, I know last year, um, Michael leibon the entire weekend, I think, was signing at the actor booth and, and, uh, and then just asking you to donate to
1: actor. So I know, Bruce, that you have a lot of affection for, you know, uh, creators of, of years past, you know, the Ditko-type creators out there. So um, have you? do you know about Actor? Yeah, sure.
2: I've seen, the, you know, the booths at a couple of different conventions, and uh, one of the podcasts talks about it all the time, uh, Golden Age of Comics, you know, Bill Jordan. And uh, it sounds like a really worthy and, you know, wonderful, uh, uh, you know, uh,
1: yeah, it, is a great, it is a great organization. Pause. <laughs> so I, I, I threw out a, uh, a challenge to listeners a little earlier. Whenever you're at a convention, Check out Artist Alley. Spend some money there. You know, take $10 that you'd normally spend in the dollar boxes and go over and give it to Actor. Those guys really deserve it. Um, Context is the next story that we had. Uh, Seems pretty cool. If you're at a convention, you don't really know what's going on, you sign up for this, and they'll shoot you updates and discounts and all this stuff on your cell phone. Uh, I don't know the exact cost of it, but does this sound like something that you guys would be interested in at, like, a Wizard World you know, Philadelphia or Chicago. Oh, all I need
0: to, at those places is directions to the bar, so I usually <laughs> can find that on my own. But no, it sounds like a pretty cool idea because a lot of times it can be confusing, especially like, you know, creator schedules and panel schedules get changed and that kind of stuff. So, you know, if you really want to know where somebody's going to be at or, or looking to stalk Frank Miller or something, it, it seems like a cool... Maybe well, cool I hear on, I
1: hear on the, the the premium version of Context, they'll actually have Frank call you and tell you. Who <laughs> his <channel is>. Hello. <laughs> yeah, I don't uh, I don't know how much that one costs. That's no, no, that that that, that was old. Uh, E-Man returns. Any E-Man readers out there? Yes. Are uh, you excited? He's coming back. Uh,
2: yeah, that sounds great. I didn't even know about it. So. Well, uh, see, that's why no, you listen was... to
1: Around Comics to get this Absolutely. great cutting edge information.
2: First thing, for, well, first podcast I listened to on Monday mornings.
1: Uh, uh, well, thank Go you, ahead. Bruce. Um, that, now I didn't know that. I didn't even know that Charlton Comics was around in 1973. Isn't yeah. that one of the companies that DC bought up?
2: They bought up their properties eventually,
0: right? And that was going to be what were the characters that were going to be in Watchmen. Because uh, Blue Beetle was a Charlton character, and they were—he was going to use all Charlton characters in Watchmen, but then they decided, no, why don't you create your own kind of thing? And and then they they then they after Crisis they introduced Blue Beetle. I don't know if there'd been any other ones um, from that that, but yeah, that, that oh yeah yeah
1: and, and Eman
0: well That's yeah, so. but they didn't <laughs> they they didn't introduce him. Uh,
1: so we'll we'll see uh what that said so that's uh, a September release. Uh another uh indie book uh that's moving over to Image is True Story, Swear to God. Uh this is uh a book I haven't picked up. Uh Sal or Bruce have either one of you read True Story, Swear to God?
0: Uh I have Sorry. read some of it, yeah.
1: You Bruce? No.
0: I I the, I know um um What's the creator's name? I'm sorry, I'm blanking on it. Uh, Tom Boland. Tom Boland, yeah, he he's a frequent board member and um, real good guy, and and his stuff is uh, real interesting. I mean, it's it's a tr- it, it is his true stories. Um, he moved to Puerto Rico uh, t- to follow you know the love of his life, I think it was, and 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 ended up marrying, getting married, and and living in, and he still lives in Puerto Rico, and and all this stuff is sort of crazy things that have happened to him. Um, and some of it seems, you know, impossible or very unlikely, but
1: it's a true story, swear, swear to God. God.
0: So <laughs> it's good for him. It, it is a good book, and and it will definitely help him get that out to more people.
1: Well, talking about uh, going back to indie and that kind of stuff, you know, it, it struck me, and that's why I put it in here, is that his reason for going to Image is that he's going to get uh, better real estate in diamond. Uh, mm-hmm. It's going to help him with uh, the hassles of shipping and, you know, storing, billing, all this stuff. So this looks like one way that an indie uh, creator has, I don't know, tried to, tried to figure out a way to get his stuff out there. So good luck to, uh, to Tom. Mm-hmm.
2: Certainly, certainly sounds like something I'd like.
1: Yeah, you probably
0: would like it. It's it's um, autobiographical, but you know, so crazy it doesn't seem like it, it could be. You know.
1: <laughs> well, in August you'll be able to get it from uh, from Image Comics. Uh, moving on, Spider-Man in Arabic, my favorite story of the week. Um, no
0: comment for political reasons.
1: <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually really happy that they're doing this. Um, without getting onto a political soapbox, but until we start to get some common binds with people around the world, we're never going to get along and I think that uh, Spider-Man is a much better way than using tanks and guns to uh, get on common ground with people. So I'm excited that Marvel is stretching out into the Middle East with some of their great properties. Um, Well, DC uh, is too. I mean, Frank Miller's doing Batman. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) Sorry. I don't think they're going to be sending Batman versus Al-Qaeda over to Lebanon. (laughs) No, probably not. I hope not. I I hope not, too. Uh, Our next story, and I know that this is one that excites uh, Bruce because it's, uh, I'm going to give it away, Bruce. This is going to be your top of the stack later, but uh, Rockado has been collected into a trade. Sal, can you, uh, or actually, Bruce, can you tell us a little bit about Rockado, but save some up for top of the stack?
2: <laughs> well it's, it's just a wonderful uh a, a book uh, it's got a very unique art style it's it's a fantasy story i think it's you know as good as most fantasies that uh, y- you know are out in paperback today you know uh <sighs>
1: From what I saw, it looks like nothing else that is out there. It is an absolutely unique book from how it's bound and the art, the writing style. It is a a unique book. So Check out Rockado, and and we'll hear a little bit more about that in a few minutes. Um, The next one, the Superman Returns prequels. Looks like DC is uh, doing the full court press, getting ready for uh, Superman Returns. They're going to be releasing four prequel comics that take place in between the first superman movie and superman returns and uh the titles are uh superman from krypton to earth superman lois lane superman lex luther and superman Ma kent and i think the retail on those is all 3.99 but they're all 40 pages so um thoughts on on how dc is trying to tie their comic sales into movie
0: well i know i had seen a. Um, I um i think it's kind of cool i mean i you know i I, I like Brian Singer, and, and I think I probably would check it out just because his name's attached to it. But um, I remember somebody had posted uh, an article somewhere about how, uh, even in the in the other Superman books, they're they're sort of changing the landscape to look more like um, the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. The 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 what they had showed was like the Daily Planet, how they had changed what the Daily Planet looked like in Action Comics and all of a sudden it looked more like um you know the the movie version than it had in the
1: past so kind of like when the x-men started wearing the uh the leather suits instead of the the traditional x-men well no that, that was grant
0: morrison though i don't know that i think that was the other way though i think the movie took the the leather suits from grant morrison's new x-men run maybe well, I'd,
1: I'd rather see it that way but uh <laughs> you know what i like about this is that usually you see the movie adaption in comic form, and this is something that ties into the movie but is independent of the movie. It's not, you know, like Daredevil the movie comic book. Right. Uh, next one is three hundred the movie website. Uh we'll talk more about three hundred the movie as it gets a little bit closer here, but uh once again from the marketing side, uh tying the, the website into the movie buzz, tying into the comic industry, uh it seems like they're uh you know, from Dark Horse anyway. Is that wait, was that a Dark Horse imprint?
0: Honestly, I don't I don't know if it was or not. Um I think it was.
1: 300? Sorry, I can't help you on that one it, it's It's a great story it's It's a period piece that miller did it's It's brutal and it takes place you know with the Spartan army so it's a lot of fun, but everything I've seen from the movie looks great, and the website seems to have uh, a lot of stuff to check out and they're so. They're
0: doing that movie a lot like they did Sin City where it's all green screens and and mostly digital backgrounds and 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 that kind of thing They' are digital sets completely right.
1: Yeah, do you know who's directing that?
0: I don't know. I I, I have There's been so little really about that. I think it's you know too far off, like you said, as as more information. I, I'm sure there's a director already named. I just don't know it.
1: Yeah, but go to aroundcomics.com for more.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. uh
1: I I slipped in a uh, kind of a, a jab at Alan Moore there. I, I don't know if it's deserved or not, but um, we went and saw V for Vendetta last night. And Sal and I were talking about it. We like the movie. Uh, we like the book. And me personally, I, I I think that Alan Moore is a brilliant writer, but I'm really tired of, and he has every right, but I'm really tired of hearing him come out and dog the movies whenever whenever they adapt them. Um, Sal, I know you got some thoughts on that.
0: Well, you know, I don't want to get into it too far, but, yeah, I mean, he has every right to, to I think, be upset um... to some degree and and you know you respect the guy for for taking his name off of it and and turning all the money over to the artist and everything but at some point it's you know it almost seems like it's more his ego than anything it's you know it's like he can't imagine his work being touched or improved or changed um... without it just being a complete you know disaster and you know i I've read V for Vendetta, you know, probably three times now in in my lifetime, and and I enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed the book. I think there were things that worked better in the book, but I honestly think there were things that worked better in the movie um, visually. So, and, you know, it was changed. I think the heart of the story is still there to some degree, you know. I mean, but what are you going to do? And, and, you know, he's very upset because he thinks that he was cheated, and, you know, I don't know all the details to that. No yeah, piano.
1: Bruce, have you read any of uh, Alan Moore's interviews regarding, I- I- if not just V uh, for Vendetta, but his other movie adaptions?
2: You know, no, I, I, I this is the first time I'd really heard about him uh, not liking, I mean, I could understand his not liking um, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen.
1: That was brilliant.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, but... I mean this uh, from the previews it looks like a good film and I mean I loved The V for Vendetta comic trade uh so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the movie uh, but you know I think you're, you you hit it on the head I mean he's he's probably a writer with an ego and uh, it hurts his ego when you know they they take liberties with his material and he has every right to do that um you know, and we have every right
0: to like it if we you know. Right. Well, yeah, that's the whole point. It's like you know, I I respect the man's work and and appreciate that it's his stuff. You know. Oh well, like I told you last night, Chris. I said I think I have a happy ending to this whole problem with with Alan Moore being upset with DC Comics and and the movie is that if the Warshawski brothers took every penny they make from this movie and buy the publishing rights to V for Vendetta and then give that to to Alan Moore so that he yeah. can he has his baby back. They don't make any money off this movie because they're going to make plenty of money later on down the road anyway. You know, if the because well,
1: mo- I, I think I the think, movie's going
0: to be successful. So
1: absolutely, and uh, and you had told me about this that you know Alan Moore kind of became a victim of his own success. That the original deal that he had signed uh, was you know dependent. You know he would get the rights back to the book whenever it went out of print so good it never went out of print right and and that's that's where his major problem is and so yeah. it, it's a difficult situation
0: yeah unfortunately you know like at the time no book had ever been in print for more than 18 months i believe that you know he had said and and so he just kind of assumed that in a few years he would get the rights to that to that back you know however it happened you know that's book that book's been in print for over 20 so he just never got the rights back it's unfortunate for him because i think he's really passionate about this work but i you know i don't know that i can go as far as calling dc evil for what they did it, it, he signed a contract it didn't work out the you know the best for him you know it happens a lot but you had you didn't have to sell it in the first place
1: well, I, I would like to see him write more because I I absolutely love his work. You know, Watchmen is a uh, a, a keystone for me as a comic fan, and I am getting a greater appreciation for like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen well, and now.
0: Yeah, that's the biggest shame is that he's so disenfranchised from you know, or disenchanted, I should say, from from mainstream uh, American comic publishers. He, you know, he'll probably never write anything. I'm sure for DC and probably never anything from Marvel or any other American comic. So it's really but a shame. That, he writes
1: some really good porn.
0: Well, that's supposedly what he's working on—is some really hardcore porn stuff. I don't know. I don't know if that, but that's—it is a shame that that maybe the the greatest comic book writer in history, or at least one of them, uh, you know, in the last 15 years, hasn't put out all that much stuff.
1: Yeah, it's, it's odd. Um, all right, we'll move on from Alan Moore. I'm sure we'll talk about him uh, more in the future. Uh, our last story, not a big surprise. Uh, year one later is selling like hotcakes. Uh, it's already going back to press, and I think that this is going to be a story that we'll probably hear a lot in the next year. Hey, hey, was, hey sorry, uh,
0: man. This is the indie show. We can't be talking about that <laughs> stuff on this show. The One year later, I don't know what that is. That's some kind of you know, crazy mainstream stuff. Sorry, can't talk about it. Hey pull uh, out. Oh, 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 there, there you go. That's there. good. Brian good for Brian Wood. that's a good book and he's a heck of a writer.
1: Alright, well that should wrap us up For the news this week uh, If you want any more information on these And other stories, please go to AroundComics.com Sal does an awesome job of continually Updating the website So you're getting the the freshest, best news A daily to you. Um, let's move on to Top of the stack uh, We'll start out with Bruce this week We already know what it is Tell us a little bit more about Rockado Well, <laughs>
2: I pronounce it Rocketto, quite frankly. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I went to Frank Espinosa's website, and there was a big discussion on that, because I was curious, because I pronounce it that way on my podcast, and several people called me on it. And if, if I read, read his phonetic spelling, it is Rocketto.
1: Rocketto. Well, we, 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 call we call it Rocketto. Manga. We call it uh, Rocketto and Ex Machina.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Ex Machina.
1: You snobs.
2: And I know, I, and I I wasn't trying to be smart, you know, smart smartass. I just, you know, thought I should... uh, No, no, thank you for
1: the correction. (laughs) I'll remember. But uh, go ahead, tell us a little bit more about the book.
2: Frank Espinosa is an animator. Uh, He's, you know, like Bruce Timm, he's got a very unique um, cinematic style. The book takes place in a future, possibly future Earth, where um, the... uh, the magnetic core of the uh, the the compass of the uh, Earth is gone, but there are people, the mappers. They're born with the uh, with that in their in their being, you know. And Rocketto is indeed a mapper, and he's an adventurer and an explorer, and that's what the stories are about. Uh, on this very strange world, he's out mapping and exploring the world. It starts out with him as a child, works up. his adulthood and kind of goes back and forth in the stories, but they're very mythological. Uh, It's it's like a fantasy. It's a beautiful graphic novel, and uh, it includes issues zero through six. Zero was one that they put out uh, at conventions last year to get people's interest, and he's written a a new five pages to put in this to tie that into the main story. So I can't say enough nice things about it. For me, it was certainly the best new book of the year and I would think it would be probably for me the best book of last year 2005
1: Well that's a great recommendation one thing uh, that I love about it is just the uh, uh, landscape orientation on the binding jumps right out at you and uh, and you're right. The artwork is awesome. So you know we can talk that book up forever. But if you haven't checked it out, go pick it up. Uh, Dave Wachter, It's one of his favorite books of the year too. So um, I've I've got it on my on my poll list now, and looking forward to getting it. Um, Sal, what do you have for us this week?
0: Uh, well, I'm gonna break out of the norm a little bit, and and uh, I'm actually gonna talk about two books, uh, both indie books, and both. Um, two different kind of books. The first one is uh, a book called um, In My Lifetime and it's put out by uh, a gentleman by the name of Tony Flex I think is his name or Fleet? It's F-L-E-E-C-S I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I met Tony last year at Wizard World Chicago um, uh, kind of a quiet guy, a little um, Almost intimidating looking. He's he's a little bigger guy. He's you know kind of got a shaved head. Um, I w- you know I didn't know it fr- from bef- you know know him b- before it all, but a really nice guy. And his comic is excellent. It's some of the better artwork out there that I've seen from from a true indie guy. Um, it's it's very polished. He has found his voice. He knows exactly what he's trying to put down. And the book is autobiographical, but what I like about it is it's not your typical stuff that you'll see, you know, in in an autobiographical book nowadays, you know, it's not, you know, and nothing against this stuff, but like the teen angst or the, you know, really sort of bland looking for, you know, the the human condition or um, trying to, you know, find uh, beauty in normalcy. I just get tired of it sometimes. This book is more of sort of a regular guy's Com, you know, indie book. I guess it's funny. Um, it's you know, it's about him. It, it, it's at the same time, it's insightful and entertaining. Um, it's just a really, really good book. And, and his, I picked up. He did a mini comic last year to promote it, and I picked that up, and I really enjoyed it. And his first uh, issue is coming out through Silent Devil. Um, I think later this year, it, it's going to be in uh, in um, Diamond. Previous, so if, look for it. Uh, It's black and white. It'll be 28 pages. Um, You can see more at uh, silentdevil.com. It's just a really, really good book. And to give you an idea, this is a... a Warren Ellis had read it and gave them a a quote, and he said, Brave, brilliantly observed comedy, and the first autobiographic comic in years that hasn't made me want to punch the author in the stomach. (laughs) And I agree with that 100%. That's a great great description of that book. The second book I want to do just quickly is is called Insult and Injury and it's by a kid named Ben Rosen who's 15 years old uh, in high school and he does this comic called Insult to Injury. I, I, I got the first issue, it's a mini comic. Um, ben is quite honestly a brilliant young kid that works extremely hard, loves comics, um, and does some tremendous stuff at his age and I think in the next you know five to, to ten years he is if he keeps doing what he's doing he's gonna be huge I- at least in indie comics if not bigger than that if, if that's what he wants because the stuff he's doing now is better than a lot of stuff I see guys that are twice his age doing um, so I just you know just wanna mention I think he's got three maybe I think he's got two issues out now um, and, and his third, he's working on his third one but it's great stuff and you look at it and you just imagine you know this kid's only 15 years old and he's got this kind of insight and, and brains and talent and you just hate him but you can check out his blog at www.i2icomic.blogspot.com so give, check out Ben's comic because he, he's pretty amazing for 15
1: Definitely, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna lose all credibility here. Um, this is our indie show, and it was kind of a a, a small week for me at the local comic shop. I've been wanting to talk about this book for a few weeks now. It is uh, so unlike me to like this character and like this book, but whenever I come home from the shop and it's come out that week, it is always the first one I read, and it's the Punisher from the Max title from Marvel. Um, it is it is so on endy, but it is it is just one of my favorite books. It is the book that Garth Ennis was born to write, in my opinion it uh, he has such a great understanding of the Frank castle character. uh You look at Ennis's writing and Gordon Parlov's art it is it is gritty, it is dark, it is realistic, and you team that up with Tim Bradstreet's covers. It is one of my absolute favorite books. It is it, it, If you've never been a Punisher fan, but you like stuff on the darker, grittier side, please check out some of the earlier Punisher traits under the Max title. Uh, my favorite was uh, Mother Russia, and uh, it had a great uh, Max version of Nick Fury. Um, Max titles take place inside Marvel canon, but they're definitely removed from your general continuity uh if you look at punisher it's kind of equal parts uh detective kind of like you know he's like the the closest thing that marvel has to a batman right now people are always comparing daredevil to uh to batman but i think punisher in this series is the detective that does what it takes to get done, and uh, and I love the Punisher title from uh, from Marvel's Max line, um, but I will throw a really good indie book out there. I'm going to take a a page from from Sal and do two books. Uh, one of my favorite books I picked up at Wizard World Chicago last year is called School, uh, School, a Death, uh, a Ghost Story by Brian Deferdeering and he is uh he's a pretty active poster on the bendis board and uh his book it is uh self-published uh, sal can actually tell you a little bit about it also um it is a story about a, a gallon in an elementary school who at the opening of the book is murdered and her ghost wakes up in the elementary school and it can't get out and she's trapped there and there are these other uh, creatures or spirits that are in the school that uh that she's trying to figure out what they are and it, it ends up being kind of a kind of a mystery book but it's all black and white it is a square book that's what i loved about it that uh, uh it's uh very gothic all black and white very heavy lines no shading to it it's it's all heavy uh pin strokes you can check out more on that at www.deftoons.com that's d-e-f-t-o-o-n-s.com so hopefully that'll give me a little bit of my indie credibility back after doing Punisher so
0: yeah, and Brian's a great guy too. If you ever, if you're ever at a show and you see his booth, he, you know, just stop by and say hi. He's he's a really nice guy, and and I do like his book a lot. And he's got an interesting style um, that you don't, you know, I haven't really seen anywhere else. He, you know, it's truly his own, and um, and I, I like that book a lot too.
1: He is so unlike his book. He is like the brightest, cheeriest, yeah. <laughs> you know, funnest guy, and this book is just like so grim and dark and gothic. Yeah, that's,
0: it, it is pretty funny that when you meet him you think he's going to be, you know, uh, this, Satan or something, but, yeah. but he's like, yeah, he's like the funniest, nicest, sweet, you know, guy you could, uh, you could possibly imagine.
1: We we talked about this book uh, a long time ago. We actually interviewed him uh, at Wizard World last year, and he's like, "Oh, hey, great, thanks, guys. I really appreciated it." And it's like, man, is this the same guy that writes this book? He's uh, definitely getting I mean, his
0: demons out there. I think.
1: Yeah, it, it's a little a little scary, but uh, no, Brian's a great guy. So check out uh, check out uh, School a Ghost Story, um, guys. Uh, I don't. Do we have any announcements? Uh, I, Nothing I can think of. We got the manga show coming up next week. Uh, email us with any questions. Uh, check out the website. Uh, Bruce, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Uh, hopefully, we thank can you. have you back sometime. That'd be wonderful. Bruce, are you, time. uh
0: just a I mean, do you have any shows coming up you want to you want to tell people about, or or um, what are you doing on your your podcast next?
2: Well, actually, um, it's funny. I was working on a um a comics podcast crossover with Derek Coward from Comic Book Noise and Jamie D and we actually uh, we're going to try to touch on the history of the independent comics from like the early 80s you know the the comico uh eclipse and and that and then the whole you know boom and bust so uh so it's kind of an outgrowth of this uh, this talk, so that's kind of neat
1: Well there you go works works perfectly right into that Alright, please check out Bruce's uh, two podcasts, Comics Cast and the Comics Podcast crossover. I think that is going to wrap up another episode of Around Comics. Thank you very much for listening uh, and look for our next episode with manga on next Monday. You guys have a great week. We out, bitches!
0: If you would like to suggest a topic, send us your comments, or are interested in becoming a panel member, email us at info at aroundcomics.com, or visit the Contact Us section of our website. For that, and the latest in comics news and opinions, go to www.aroundcomics.com. Music for this show, provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network, music.podshow.com. Thank you for listening today, and remember to join us next week. With a panel will change, but our mission stays the same: bringing you the best in discussion, news, and reviews in and around comics.